Good morning, servants of the Lord. Good morning, Nina. <laughs> Please turn with me to Mark chapter 3 today. We're returning to the same passage that we were in last week. Have you ever been misunderstood? I'm sure you have. Uh, everybody's been misunderstood from time to time. Have you ever noticed that it's more painful when the person who misunderstands you is close to you? In fact, the closer they are, the, the more it can hurt. Well, as we're returning to our passage from last week in Mark, we see Jesus misunderstood in multiple ways. Uh, and here in our passage today, we see that Jesus is misunderstood even by his own family. Uh, but that will create an opportunity for us to see Jesus teach about family and his true family. Well, let's read about that in our passage today. We're in Mark chapter 3, verse 20, down through 35. I'll read the passage. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless, the fir unless he first binds a strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Father, thank you for saving us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for calling us together into a family, into one body. But thank you that we are your children, and together we are brothers and sisters this morning. I pray that you would help us to live that out in our lives in tangible ways. I pray that you would help us to follow your Son with a pure devotion. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look to our text here, one of the key things that this is calling us to is that we would live as the family of Jesus by following him closely. We want to live as the family of Jesus by following him closely. We can see that as we look uh, first at the physical family of Jesus, and then we'll see what Jesus teaches us about the spiritual family of Jesus. So let's look at the physical family of Jesus first. As we look into this passage, 
we return to our sandwich I was talking about last week. Uh, some of you told me that my description of the Reuben sandwich made you a bit hungry, and I know, in fact, that the sale of Reuben sandwiches went up last week. Uh, I saw eyewitness of that. Uh, and it's making that parallel that Mark here is making a, a what some call a sandwich of these stories. There's, in the middle, we have the story of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the scribes as they reject Jesus. And then on either side of that, there's a connected story. It started, it's interrupted, and then it comes back again. And, and this technique that Mark is employing here uh, is to tie these stories together. Uh, they are supposed to go together. In fact, as Mark has been telling us about Jesus throughout this gospel, as he's been going, he is showing us again and again who Jesus is. He's showing us how he has authority over everything. And then here, we are seeing two stories of wrong responses to Jesus, of people who do not get Jesus rightly. Now, we could say that the scribes judge Jesus in the sense that they uh, condemn him, they see who he is, and they think that he is inspired by Satan. So they judge Jesus in the ultimate sense. Uh, we might say that his family, on the other hand, misjudges Jesus. That they don't quite get him. They don't rightly understand his ministry. And Mark in giving us these examples, is giving us negative examples so that we would respond to Jesus in a different way. So let's jump into our story here. I want to go back to verse 20 and 21. I'll read those again. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Now, a few weeks ago, this is getting closer to a month ago now, uh, we saw Jesus choose the 12 apostles. Uh, and so he's probably at his home, as it describes, his home in Capernaum. And people are flocking to hear Jesus, to, to be around him. Jesus is so pressed that he doesn't even have time to eat. My sister-in-law, Ruth, is a nurse, and she's described to me how on multiple days she'll go an entire eight-hour shift and never really sit down to eat. She's just needed, and so she's going to one thing to the next. Well, this is all, all the more the case for Jesus. He is, uh, people are coming into where he's living. People are right up to him. They're not giving him the space or the time to even take care of his daily essentials like eating. And this isn't the first time either. Back in Mark chapter 2, we see Jesus is in his house. People are so crammed in there that when the paralytic the paralytic's friends want to get him to Jesus, they have to chop a hole through the roof to get him down. Uh, and so once again, we see Jesus in the scene where he is completely crowded. Uh, and this report of Jesus' wild popularity reaches his family back in Nazareth. They hear about the things that Jesus is doing, the large crowds that are following him, uh, and they decide that they need to intervene. Now, in some translations in verse 21, uh, it says his family. That's what the ESV says. Uh, the NASB says his own people. KJV says his friends. Uh, the, the Greek text itself reads something like those with him or those by him. Uh, I do think it's right to translate this as his family. Uh, the story 
is begun in verse 21, 2021, and then it's picked up again in verse 31. This is something that Mark does multiple times. We'll see it again later. Uh, and in verse 31, it's clearly talking about his family. So I think it is right to say that this is his family here. Um, his disciples are currently with him, so they wouldn't have gone out to go see him. Uh, I think it's right to say this is his family. And, and what is their response at this point to him? They want to go out and seize him. They try to detain Jesus because they think he's gone crazy. Think that he's taken a dive off of the deep end. That he's taken a, a temporary vacation from reality and now it's time to go collect him. Um, they probably think that they're doing him a favor. But they completely misread the situation. They radically misunderstand Jesus and his mission. They misjudge Jesus. Now why is that? Was it because they couldn't genuinely uh, accept that this moment was, was true, what was really going on? Uh, it's not entirely clear. Uh, we do know that as we look in Luke's account and, and in Matthew's account, Mary believes. Uh, she believes as far back as the testimony of Gabriel as to uh, this child who will be in her by a miracle. So Mary has faith. I don't know, perhaps she was concerned with his safety at this point. Uh, we know from John chapter 7, verse 5, that Jesus' brothers didn't believe him. Uh, John makes the point of that, that his, not even his brothers believed him. So at this point, they don't believe. Um, now they will in time, uh, there will come a time in which they do believe. In fact, Jude and James, uh, two of Jesus' half-brothers, will go on to believe and even write letters of the New Testament. But at this point, they don't get Jesus. I think as we think about application from this, Jesus' physical family isn't alone here. They're not the only ones like this. I think there are many uh, around us, living around us, that are in this camp today. Uh, living in the United States, people should know about Jesus, considering our heritage, considering how much the gospel has gone, gone forward. If you live in this nation you probably should know something about Jesus. But many don't. Uh, or at least they don't understand Jesus rightly. Now this isn't the hostility that the scribes express. Uh, this isn't the blatant hatred of the scribes. But it is a dangerous place to be nonetheless. So many in our culture don't believe in Jesus in part because they've never even heard enough to know who he is. Uh, they, they don't even know that Jesus calls them to repent and believe in him. Now, it's easy to think that everyone who doesn't believe is like the scribes. Uh, that they, they hate Jesus and they're ready to press us with a hard argument that we can't answer. Uh, but that's just not the case. That doesn't match up with reality. Now, true, some people who don't know Jesus, when they get to know him, they will hate him. Uh, but we should not be afraid uh, when we go and speak with other people. We don't know where people are at. We don't know what God is doing in their hearts. Some people simply misunderstand Jesus. They don't maybe even have a full enough picture to know who Jesus is. Uh, we don't want to let fear deter us from speaking about our Lord. Uh, there are many who are like Jesus' family who they don't believe, but the reality for them is that they don't believe yet. We want to continue to speak of him. Well, that's a, a bit about his physical family. We see that his physical family doesn't get him. They don't get him yet, at least. 
then this turns to uh, a lesson for us that Jesus will teach uh, about his spiritual family. We want to turn to that next and consider the spiritual family of Jesus. Just as the rejection of the scribes led to a teaching moment from Jesus, so the misunderstanding of his family will lead to a teaching moment. I want to read verses 31 to 35 again. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brother are, brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So again, Jesus is still in that same crowded house. He's just responded to the criticisms of the scribes, and now his family arrives. They get to the house, it's packed completely full. Now, of course, in that day, they can't just text Jesus and let him know that they're waiting outside, so they have to pass it word of mouth. Uh, and they get the message to Jesus that they are outside waiting for him. Customarily, Jesus probably would have dismissed himself to go out and talk with them. Certainly that's what they had hoped for. And once outside, they could take him and take him off to a place where he could cool off and come back to his senses. The societal expectation would have been for Jesus to show honor to his family by stopping and going out to see them. And in many ways, that expectation is grounded in the Old Testament. You see, the fifth commandment is to honor your father and mother, so it's a right understanding that there would be respect for family. But the shocking thing is that Jesus doesn't pull the plug on his teaching time and go outside and talk with them. Instead, he takes this opportunity to dramatically make a point. He raises the question, who are my mother and brothers? Then he looks around at the people sitting close by him, and he says, these are my mother and brothers. Not the people standing outside. Uh, just to say it again, that's not the way things worked in Jesus' day. It was expected that family would take priority. That family would have a special claim on his time and his energy. Now again, there is something natural about this. Uh, that, that it, there is a rightness to that. But Jesus is cutting across the grain here to make a point. Who is the true family of Jesus? It is the spiritual family. It is those who do the will of God. They are his brother and sister and mother. It's those who respond rightly to God's revelation of himself and his will in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, the scribes tried to do the will of God in the sense that they obeyed aspects of God's revealed uh, will in the Old Testament, but they missed the boat. They did not truly find the heart of God in his word, so they rejected the Son of God when he came. Even the family of Jesus seems to want to return Jesus to their world on their terms and to rejoin the life that he had before his public ministry. But Jesus will have none of that. He's carrying out the will of his Father. He's pursuing the mission that they agreed on from eternity past. In his earthly ministry, Jesus will give his time and energy especially to those who follow him and are eager to listen to him and live in light of his teaching. Those are Jesus' true family, his spiritual family. In light of what Jesus is teaching here, I think this should form our priorities in at least two clear ways. We should prioritize Jesus, and we should prioritize his people. In light of that, we want to ask, does Jesus have first place in the relationships of your life? Now, this passage can be shocking, 
But I don't think it's the most shocking thing that Jesus says about family. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 to 39, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now that should wake you up. Those are shocking words. But Jesus is teaching us here that our devotion to him has to go first over everything else. There's nothing that should come before our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. If it even comes down to denying Jesus or keeping any other relationship, even family, our first priority must be Jesus. Now some of you have felt that. Some of you have felt real relational loss, even in your family, on account of your love for Jesus. The Lord sees that. These passages call us to put Jesus first in all of our relationships. And in a way, Mark here is inviting us into the inner circle of Jesus. You know, no, we can't literally stand so close to Jesus that we smell Peter. Uh, but we can be close to Jesus nonetheless. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we join the family of God. As those who have listened to the will of God revealed in Scripture and have turned to God in faith and repentance, we are brought near to God in Christ. And as we live that out, as he's called us in his word, we stick close to Jesus. And our sense of nearness to the Lord is affected by how much we give ourselves to him and give ourselves seeking him. Seeking him in his word, in prayer, through fellowship with his people, through worship and service. If we give the bare minimum of our heart and lives to the Lord, we should not be uh, surprised if we don't feel close to him. Uh, an example, I, I've been blessed on our Wednesday nights going through numbers. Uh, it's, it's renewed an appetite in me for understanding how the first five books of the Bible tie together. And in understanding the story of God for his people Israel there, the Psalms, for instance, have come to new life for me. Uh, there's been a special blessing that's come through studying his word. Excited to dig into Esther and continue that. Uh, as we give ourselves, we find blessing. The more we seek the Lord, the more we are blessed. We want to prioritize the Lord in our lives. Jesus says that those who do the will of God are his family. That should make us desire to seek God's will in our lives, even as we seek the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So if that's first, that we would prioritize Jesus. Uh, next, I think this text is calling us to prioritize his people. Now, how do I get that from this passage? Uh, well, Jesus here says that those who do the will of God are his brother and sister and mother, uh, and that makes them brothers and sisters of one another. Uh, just to be obvious here, my brother Kyle's brother is Kalen, and Kalen happens to be my brother too. And Kalen's brother John also happens to be my brother too, right? That's how it works in family. You know how it works. Uh, we are brothers and sisters together in the Lord. As we look into the New Testament, 
we see that it is full of this kind of family language. It's, it's no accident or throwaway term that the believers in the early church called each other brothers and sisters. As Christians, we are called into the family of God together. Our union with Christ brings us into union with one another. That means that we have new relationships to one another in Christ, and we should prioritize those relationships in the Lord. Now, I am afraid that as the American church, we are more conformed to this world than we think we are when it comes to this matter. Sometimes it's easy to boil down separation from the world as staying home and living life on our terms. But that can simply be another expression of autonomy. Uh, autonomy just means self-rule, self-law. Um, and our culture worships autonomy. Everything in my life has to be on my terms. I do what I want to do, and nobody better ever tell me otherwise. Um, that's a very uh, prominent virtue in our culture. But there's nothing that's actually necessarily pious or Christian about that. In fact, the way it expresses itself in many churches is that we can see each other for maybe one hour a week and go on and live the rest of our lives without a single thought of one another. Uh, we live our lives our own way. Uh, but that kind of a lifestyle doesn't really make sense in light of what we see in the New Testament as we see believers uh, in relationship together. The early believers called each other brother and sister, and it really meant something. The early Christians often depended on each other, sometimes even for their daily needs, as we read in the book of Acts. Now, the reality is, in our day, in our nation, we've got great prosperity. Uh, things are going pretty well for us in many ways, even with some hardship. We, we're doing pretty well, uh, and it's easy for us to be self-reliant, and I understand that. Uh, but we might wonder, uh, where will our hearts be if we do encounter different times? If we face an economic depression that rivals the Great Depression, um, will we be prepared to hold one another up? If we face persecution in our day, will we know each other well enough that we would entrust our families to each other if the fathers had to go to jail? Would we be at a place where we have that kind of trust for one another? How much do we prioritize the spiritual family of Jesus? The reality is, though, we don't just need each other in case times get hard. We are called to operate as family at all times. In Christ, we are family here at Berean. Yeah, we're going to have times where we get on each other's nerves, uh, but that's a part of the process of growing together, isn't it? The reward will be far greater than the cost we pay. We should make one another a priority in our lives. So we draw our time, to, time together here to close. I want to ask you to consider this season of life. Are there areas in your life where you need a realignment of priorities? Are you making Jesus your priority? Are you seeking the will of God in Christ? Can others look at you and see the family resemblance with our Lord? How about the way we view each other? Do you think you need the people who are sitting around in the pews around you? 
Do you think that for your walk with the Lord, you actually need the other people who are sitting around this room? Or do you think that you can just as easily seek God alone? Don't be fooled. God didn't put us in a family for no reason. He made us to seek him together as family, and it's our privilege that we can seek God together. And it's our duty to do that as we live as the family of Jesus and follow him closely. I do want to invite the, the men now to prepare for communion, and Erica, please come to play, and, and we'll go to prayer together now. <clears throat>